Hello and welcome to another episode of the National Kidney Foundation Life as a Nephrologist podcast. I'm your host, Natasha Dave, a nephrologist at the Bruce W. Carter VA Medical Center in Miami, Florida. The faces of leadership in nephrology are changing. What was once a playing field for exclusively men, it is slowly transforming to include a diverse group of men and women. For today's episode, we are joined by women who have traversed the leadership ladder. This group includes a current president and two incoming presidents of nephrology societies and an industry executive. Now, these women are unique. We are joined by a Midwestern clinical nephrologist and daughter of a dialysis nurse, a peer PhD research scientist and mentorship guru, a Canadian-born clinical nephrologist who runs a research lab, and an Indian-born academic nephrologist turned industry expert. In this episode, we talk about their journeys, we discuss the importance of mentorship, taking risks, kindness, and keeping perspective. We also talk about finding your purpose and how to bounce back from failure rejection, and how to just keep going despite it all. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and now let's get started. Our guests include the current National Kidney Foundation President, Dr. Holly Kramer, the incoming Women in Nephrology President, Dr. Lisa Curtis, the incoming president of the American Society of Nephrology, Dr. Susan Quaggan, and the CEO and president of Vertex Pharmaceuticals, Dr. Reshma Kabel Ramani. Thank you all for being here. Let's get started with some introductions. Holly, kindly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, um, I'm a clinical nephrologist um, in Maywood, which is a, a suburb outside of Chicago, and uh, work at Loyola University of Chicago and at the Heinz VA Medical Center. And um, my story is really that my mom uh, was a dialysis nurse and um, was a home training dialysis nurse and went to a lot of patients' um, homes during the early 1980s when dialysis was just starting and was all home dialysis at that time. And so I remember going into patients' homes with my mom and seeing this gigantic dialysis machines on some shag blue carpet, which was like in vogue back then. And um, got to be kind of close to some of the patients who would actually write me letters and encourage me to become a nephrologist. So I really didn't have a choice of what I was going to do with my life. So I really admire people who went into nephrology for reasons other than being forced by their mother. But um, but I think my, my journey really starts that um, I had a purpose, and that purpose was to try to improve the lives of people with kidney disease. And so when things get tough and um, you know, and you're facing challenges and failure, which I've faced a lot, um, you just keep going back to that purpose. And so I would say, like, my journey has been a lot of failure. A lot of things have not gone the way that I would like to them to go. But I just kept going. You know, I just kept telling myself, I'm just going to keep getting up in the morning. And um, and I think that's what has led me to where I am, that I just, I just keep going because I have this purpose that fuels me. And, and then also, I agree with what Rush was probably going to talk about, which is about taking risk. And um, I'm kind of the person that when people ask me to do something, I'm usually going to say yes, even if I don't have enough time to do it or really don't have the expertise to do it. If I have interest in it, I'm just going to do it. And, um, and I think that that's important, too. I would say as NKF president, I've reached out to a lot of people, asking them to be like authors on papers or to give a talk. I'm amazed at how many times women turn me down. And the men, almost 95% of them will say yes. So I think that that's an issue. Um, maybe, I don't know why they're always turning me down. Maybe don't want to 
do those papers or whatever, but I think women need to take more risk. And so I'm hoping that during this podcast today, we can talk about that more. Wow, Holly, what an inspiring journey. And I love hearing how your mom has influenced your career path um, and your comments about taking risks. Uh, when you mentioned taking risks in your introduction, you mentioned Reshma. How do you and Reshma know each other? I'd like to tell the story if you don't mind, Natasha. <laughs> yes. Please tell us how you know each other and kindly introduce yourself to our listeners. Holly's going to be too humble to say how we really know each other and how much she's inspired me. Actually, my interaction with Holly way back when has inspired one of the pillars in which I truly believe, which is kindness. And I'll tell you about that. My name is Reshma Kewal Ramani, and um, my journey uh, starts in uh, Mumbai in India when it was still called Bombay. So I was born and raised in Bombay. I moved to the United States when I was 12 years old. And as all good Indian families want, um, they want their children to either become an engineer, a doctor, or go into the priesthood. And since um, engineering and the priesthood didn't really hold that much interest for me, medicine it was. I was a um, student right here in Boston. I was a resident and I did my internship right here in Boston at the Mass General. And then I moved over to the Brigham to do my renal fellowship, which is when I met Dr. Holly Kramer. And I, I do want to tell you about this story because I was, I was in my first month of my renal fellowship and my father had a massive heart attack and I had to take time off and I was ready to sort of um, just quit uh, or do whatever, and I would figure it out later because I didn't know how I would manage taking a week off to go be with my father when I'm a, a first-year fellow with heavy call. And Holly Kramer said, you know what? I'm just going to cover you. She, she just said, I'm going to cover you. And that sort of saved my ability to continue in my fellowship that year. And um, I, I've never forgotten that. Um, Holly's right. Um, I talk a lot about taking risks. And I, I started out wanting to be a triple threat and running my lab and seeing patients and teaching. But eventually I got a little bit uh, disenchanted with the lab. Um, I was working with mice. I kind of started to really hate the mice. And I really wanted to be with people again. Um, so I went back and I um, retrained myself in um, clinical research I got a phone call out of the blue, um, and I ended up going to a company to pursue what I wanted to do, my real calling, which is to develop medicines for patients. I didn't know that was my calling. I really had no idea. I really thought my calling was to be a triple threat. But that phone call sort of changed my life, and I took this big risk. My husband had to quit his job. We had twins who were six months old. I mean, it was crazy on the surface and probably crazy below the surface to do what we did. But it was a, a risk worth taking. And I was at um, Amgen in Southern California for almost 13 years. It was great. The sun always shines. Um, I loved my company. I loved the people. I convinced my husband to buy a forever house. We renovated the forever house for six months. And then we lived in the forever house for nine months before I got another phone call. And I returned back to Boston to come to Vertex. I came um, to run one part of the company I became the chief medical officer. And just earlier this year, I took the helm as um, the CEO. The two things that I, I, I want to share with you are one, kindness. Relatively random act of kindness from Holly allowed me to stay in my fellowship, complete my fellowship, 
and has really um, made kindness a core part of who I am and what I talk about and what I think is important. And the second part is um, taking risks, leaving Boston, leaving all of my friends and family who all live either in Boston or on the East Coast to go to California, uh, where we knew no one was really nuts. Um, and to go from academia to industry, that was kind of a crazy idea, too. And then to do it again and come back um, is uh, is uh, really just plain um, interesting. But I will say that it's served me well. And I do think uh, risk is proportional to reward. Wow, that was incredibly inspiring. Um, thanks for that introduction. And Holly, um, I, you know, the coverage story just makes me an even bigger fan of you. <laughs> Oh, I just love sleeping in dialysis units. So. <laughs> well, let's move on. Um, Lisa, do you want to give us, uh, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and um, tell us about your journey? Sure. So I, um, I am currently an associate professor at the University of Alabama at Birmingham in the Division of Nephrology, but I am actually a pure PhD. So I, when I graduated with my bachelor's degree, I knew that I wanted to work in a lab. And so I went to work um, in an inner ear lab for about five years before I really decided I needed to do more. And my mentor at the time, who was my boss, kept telling me, you know, why are you still here? Basically, you should go to graduate school. So I did. Um, and I ended up in a kidney lab for my graduate work. And that really sort of began my interest in the kidney. And then after I graduated, I uh, went to a hematopoietic stem cell lab uh, because I was interested in looking at the potential for stem cells in the kidney. And then we moved uh, from Florida to Alabama. Uh, I continued my postdoc now in another lab and, and transitioned again back into nephrology uh, to continue my postdoc before I went on the faculty at UAB. And so I think one of the things that I'm interested in talking about is um, number one, the importance of mentoring, because I think so much of what I did and how I traversed the, the path that I took uh, was a bit by accident. And looking back, I know that the reason I was able to make good steps was because I had some significant mentoring from people and I didn't even realize it at the time. I now know how important that is. But I also feel like an important piece of this is being ready for a new opportunity. So much of what we do is we plan out you know, a, the perfect trajectory and get disappointed if that's not what happens. And I think sometimes those those transitions, moving when you didn't think you were going to be doing that, or um, even taking a shift in, in the focus of, uh, in my case, my research, really was an opportunity, not a detraction. But in the moment, it's hard to see that. And I also, the third thing I would like to throw out is that, uh, and we can talk more about this, but as a postdoc, I had an opportunity to um, be involved in a national organization and, and gain early experience with leadership. And I think that speaks to taking advantage of opportunities. And I'd love to talk more about that too. Yes, I would love to get more of your insights about mentorship and um, 
you know, I think we've already had a lot of conversation about taking risks. Um, I think that's incredibly important as well. So let's uh, introduce our final guest, last but not least. Uh, Susan, do you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your journey? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Natasha. I think the first thing um, I would say is I had that blue shag carpet, <laughs> you know, Holly. I did, I really, and it brought back a lot of memories. Susan, I've all I've lost all respect for you. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't choose it myself. It was. My, I was a child at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I really remember it. Um, yeah, my journey, um, yeah, and it's been great listening to everybody here because, you know, um, currently I'm in Chicago. I'm a Canadian. Um, I've been here about seven and a half years, and I, uh, I'm a clinical nephrologist, but I also run a research lab, and I direct the Cardiovascular and Renal Research Institute. And if you had asked me when I started medical school, you know, this or told me this is where you'd be that I would have never, ever believed you. Um, you know, my uh, love of nephrology began as an intern. It was the very first rotation that I had. And uh, back in, uh, you know, that many decades ago, um, we had an inpatient service that looked after transplants, looked after all the GNs, looked after dialysis patients. And as an intern, you were the one in-house at night covering the ward, covering the dialysis units, covering the critical care. And, you know, what other subspecialty would you be able to, you know, be looking after poisonings in the, in the emergency room, uh, rapidly progressive GNs, uh, getting relationships with patients. I remember one of my very first patients was an acute kidney failure. She'd had pancreatitis. She was 80 years old. I got married as an intern and she came to the church with her daughter, unbeknownst to me. And I mean, mm -hmm. I can't, you know, I fell in love with nephrology because of the patients um, and the discipline and also incredible mentors um, at the time and role models. The physicians and the nephrologists were an incredible team. And my fellow as an intern, uh, her name was Adira Levin. You might know her, so past president of ISN. So, I mean, what better way to start? I still remember the conversations on the ward in, uh, you know, July with Adira. And uh, she gave the men, you know, a run for their money. So, um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was absolutely awesome. And um, throughout that, Mitch Halpern was another really incredible mentor. So sort of building on Lisa, you know, who you meet and who takes an interest in you along the way. And he always told me, you know, you can't accept uh, textbook medicine and, you know, you should learn how to, you know, figure out what's going on uh, in the kidney. So I decided I would uh, retrain myself, never been in a lab before. And at the end of my clinical fellowship, uh, picked up my 12 week old daughter and husband and moved to New Haven. Thought I'd be there for a year, um, ended up being there for three years and then came back to Toronto, did another postdoc in mouse genetics in Janet Rassant's lab, another incredible mentor. And sort of things just went on from there. Um, the reason I'm here um, is, you know, the willingness to take a risk at the right time uh, in my career. And, you know, I think we'll get to that 
a bit later as well that, you know, you have to keep your priorities and there's a right time and a, uh, for everything. So, yeah. Wow. Thank you all so much for sharing your journey with us. Now, we've already had quite a bit of discussion on the importance of mentorship. Lisa, you're someone who has mentioned the importance of mentorship in your journey, and you were also a mentor for several individuals in various stages of their careers. What advice or tips do you have for individuals whom are looking for a mentor? Well, I would say, first of all, don't get just one, because I think that different people can give you a different perspective. And by being open to individuals who take an interest in you and fostering that relationship, not in an ulterior way because you want a mentor, but because you want to know these individuals more, you want to interact with them, oftentimes that's where a mentor will come from. But I, I also feel like the, there is a risk when you have a mentor that you view them as being all-knowing and not infusing your own views into that decision tree. For example, if a mentor tells you not to do something or to do something, that may or may not be good advice. And on its face, it might be great advice, but when you factor in your own goals or your own circumstances, as I I think Sue said about the right time for something, you have to be a part of that decision. And I'll just give the example, uh, the opportunity that I had to be in a leadership role in a national organization came to me and I went to my mentor and I said, I wanna do this, I would be really interested in this. And he said, you know, Lisa, it's a great idea, you do well at it and you would enjoy it, but I think you need to stay at the bench. And at the time I felt like I could, I had the bandwidth to, continue my bench work and and do what I needed to do there, uh, but also engage in this additional activity. And so even though he said I wouldn't do it, I went ahead and did it. And at the time, I did it because I thought it would be fun. I have since been able to use that experience uh, because it it developed my thinking in the area of postdoctoral training and, and postdoctoral mentoring in ways that I would not have gotten in any other arena. And so it's actually informed what I do today, even though at the time that was not part of the plan. So I would say be open to the opportunities that come, make a smart decision and engage as many voices as you can, as many mentors as you can to get ideas. But in the end, make your own decision about what's gonna happen in your own career. That's great advice. Reshma, I'm curious to get your perspective. You have a little bit of a unique career in the sense that you were you once wanted to be a triple threat and uh, you decided that you were going to go into industry. So what role did mentorship play in your journey? So, um, you know, that original decision to leave um, academia and go to industry, that was just a tough decision. And honestly, um, it was so unusual. I surprised myself by wanting to do that. And I don't know that I actually understood the role of mentors, the difference between a mentor and a sponsor. I'm not really sure I understood all of those or any of those words. And genuinely, I just took a plunge and we made that move. In industry, um, so I, I started at my job on 
August 16th, 2004. I remember that. And when I came to that company, they must have had a big HR push or something like that. And I was told that you were going to get a mentor and you should go visit this person. And it was my first week at the company. And I think they were just doing it for all the newcomers or um, the, the people who were young or something. I just stumbled into it. That person who I was assigned is still um, somebody I consider a mentor to me today. And going from a place where I didn't know what a mentor was, didn't understand the differences between sponsorship and mentorship and mentoring circles and all of this, to being in a place where I had a mentor, where I could talk to someone who sat on a different perch. When you see things happening and you don't understand it, I've come to realize you actually the plain truth is you don't have a full picture or you don't have sufficient um, information to connect these weak signals that you're seeing in the right way. And mentorship has played an enormous role for me. And I I think that um, Lisa is exactly right. Don't just go for one, have many um, because you're interested in different things, because you're at a different point in your life, because you need something different or a a point of view that is just discordant with everything else that's going on. I've received great mentorship and I feel in many ways I am where I am because of mentorship. There are so many decisions where I connected the dots in my own mind in completely the wrong way. I was thinking um, a certain signal meant one thing and it actually meant something completely the opposite. And I'll I'll tell you a quick story. At one point in my career, early on, um, I had uh, risen up the ranks to a fairly, uh, in my mind, a, a very high level. Um, I was an executive director, and I was very proud of that accomplishment. And um, I guess I don't lack confidence, but I wanted to change departments and do something completely different. So I walked right into the other department and I said, okay, I'd like to join your department. And the person said, okay, but you do realize you're an executive director and I am an executive director and I run the entire department and you really don't have um, the the background to to replace me. And I said, oh, right, right. I wasn't trying to do that. I just wanted to come and work for you. And that's when I realized, you know, Got it. There are there's a there's a hierarchy. There are levels. It's important to really do a lot of uh, work where you go across, and not just focus on climbing up. And after a lot of uh, discussion, it, it turned out to be the case that I could have that job in that other department, but I'd have to go down one level and become a director again. And you could imagine how hard that was for me. I'd worked hard for my my promotion and. And I really was proud of where I'd landed. But to make a long story short, I talked to my mentor and and they just asked a couple of very simple questions. And they made it so acceptable, so normal to go ahead and do this, that it gave me the confidence to go ahead and do it. And that's what I did. I actually did take the step down. Um, I took that role as a director. And I'm very convinced that if I hadn't done that, the next series of moves wouldn't have come. And I don't think um, I would be doing what I'm doing right now. Um, And I I strongly believe that mentorship is a two-way road. Um, You don't just show up at a mentor and say, here I am, what do you have for me? And equally, as a mentor now to others, I learn so much from my mentees. So I I think that it's important. 
Um, it's not to be taken lightly. Preparation goes a long way and it's absolutely a two-way street. Well, that's great. Susan, in your introduction, you mentioned quite a few mentors that you've had um, that have helped you along your journey. I'm curious, what advice do you have for anyone that's looking for a mentor? Yeah, so I think a lot of what Lisa and Reshma have already brought up are really important. And I, you know, from my perspective, one size doesn't fit all. So, you know, I I think the style of mentorship, uh, you know, there are different styles of mentoring and sponsorship and coaching. And, you know, you if you are looking for a mentor, you really need to find somebody who fits with you. And I would say having more than one is absolutely critical as well. And, you know, over the years, I've had mentors who aren't even, you know, within the same geographical area. So my, I think one of my biggest mentors um, over the years was in a different country and, you know, was always there, very level-headed, provided really sage advice, just what Reshba was saying. When I was struggling with a decision or decide, you know, what should I do? Always level-headed and provided um, good advice. So I would suggest when you're looking for a mentor, you know, the relationship has to work and it is a two-way street, just as Reshma said, and and know what sort of style um, works for you and, and, you know, look for more than one potentially. Wow. Thank you, ladies, for your advice. <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, now let's shift the conversation a little bit and talk about risk. We've already brushed upon this topic during some of your introductions. I'm curious, Holly, talk to me about some of the risks you've taken in your career and how do you approach it? Well, I, you know, I, I've, I've really struggled throughout my career, I think. I didn't have... I didn't have like consistent mentoring after I left my fellowship. And I think sometimes, you know, if it's difficult to do research in, in nephrology, it's, it can be really, really challenging. And there's times when, when you do want to quit. So again, I think a lot of it has to do with tenacity and be driven by a purpose. And, you know, and I think it, no matter what you, if you're in, you know, private practice or if you're in research or academia, you're in the corporate setting, you know, there's always in times in nephrology because it's so challenging um, that you want to give up and you just don't. Also, when I was going through all these challenges, um, I read a lot of books on leadership just to try to give me some sense of what I should be doing with my life and some guidance. And, you know, and I'll say like, you know, I'm a, I've probably read like 25 different books on leadership and there's like a consistent theme. And one of them is kind of like turning that mentorship upside down. In other words, they say, if you're helping other people be successful, you yourself will become successful. If you spend a lot of your time helping other people to achieve what they want to achieve, you'll by default end up achieving more than what you what you think you can. So I really live by that. Like I really enjoy trying to help other people achieve what they want to achieve. And then also these books will tell you, you know, if an opportunity makes your heart race, makes you think, oh my gosh, I'm so scared about this. You definitely should do it. It's like your body is telling you, take that risk. And, you know, don't ask yourself, do I meet all the criteria? Don't ask yourself, you know, am I going to be successful in this? If it makes you excited, if it makes you nervous, 
you should do it. You should do it. I totally agree. Um, Rachel, you mentioned risk as well. How do you approach risk? Yeah, absolutely. Can I ask Holly a question? Holly, what's the biggest risk you've taken? Um, you've really thought about this. You've read about it. You've put a framework around it. I'm interested to hear what your biggest risk um, is that you've taken. I think probably like the NKF presidency was taking that was a was a big risk because it, you know, it takes a lot of time away from your from your regular career. And then I think also putting yourself out there, you know, to like doing this podcast or talking about my personal life and all that, you know, it feels really uncomfortable. But definitely that's we should do that. You know, like if it if it makes you excited, makes your heart race. You should be doing that. Make sure you, you know, like if you're living your life where you're constantly comfortable, you're not pushing yourself. You're never going to achieve what you're going to be able to achieve if you just get in some kind of comfortable mode and you just go with that. And if you're never pushing yourself to where you feel uncomfortable, you're never going to get higher. You're always going to be at the same place you are. And maybe that's fine with you. Maybe, you know, some people like being comfortable and don't like being uncomfortable and, and that's fine. You know, but if you're someone that you're like, oh, I just feel like this angst of where I feel like I, I should be doing more with my life, get uncomfortable. Find something that makes you feel, you know, like this isn't right. I'm not sure I can do this. And I think like women tend to hesitate on feeling uncomfortable. You know, like we have to do with the dishes and the laundry and at least I do, you know, so you know, look. that doesn't make my heart race and it doesn't make me very excited. <laughs> right. I know. Unloading the dishwasher and anything. But like you just, you know, I think women are just like, I'm exhausted. I don't want to be uncomfortable. You know, like I can't take that one more step. But if you don't, then you're never going to get past where you are in your career. You know, and so like I'm amazed at how I'll tell people like, I ask people a lot, like, what are your goals? What would you love to see happen? I've, I asked Natasha about that, and she told me the other day. So, like, okay, here's the steps I suggest that you take to get there. And, like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I don't even know that guy. I'm not going to call him cold call and ask him. Like, well, then you're never going to get there. You know, take risk. I, I love what you say about this feeling of discomfort. Um, you know, in in um, in the corporate world, I get to talk to a lot of um, folks at other companies. I certainly talk to a lot of my friends who are in academia, um, and folks who run their own practices and are leaders um, of their clinics. And a couple of common themes that strike me: if you are fully and completely satisfied, good for you. That's terrific, and there's nothing wrong with that. However, many people seem to have the seedling of, of unease. They're, they're not exactly where they want to be. It's not terrible, but they, they feel like they could do more. They have this underlying sense that they are treading water when they'd rather be soaring. And what I tell people is to take a little bit of time, but it actually takes some time. You have to have a moment to think and to listen to what your gut is saying. And if your gut is saying that you're disquieted, it's just um, uneasy. You don't feel like you've hit your full potential. I am 100% with Holly. Listen to it. Talk to other people. You'd be surprised how many people feel the same exact way. And 
that's the kind of risk I'm talking about. I'm not talking about um, sell your home and go on a journey to find yourself and travel through Asia, although that sounds great too. I'm talking about do what you were really born to do. Allow yourself to really think about what that purpose is. Holly used that word. I love that word, purpose. What is your purpose? What do you really want to do? And what are you afraid of? And one one um, thing I, I tell people all the time um, when I uh, get asked about advice is I tell people never make a decision out of fear. Do what you want to do based on understanding the benefits and the risks, but don't be afraid of taking a risk. And here's the five questions I ask myself. Whenever I have a hard problem, these exact same five questions have served me well, and I'll I'll rattle them off uh, for you if you'd like. First, and it, it goes in this order. First, what is best for my family? And if I get my answer, I stop there. I don't have to ask the other questions. Second, will I learn as much as I will contribute? Third, do I like the people? I am too old to work with people I don't like. (laughs) Fourth, um, I ask myself, can I see beyond the visible horizon? Oftentimes when there are opportunities, you see what's right in front of you. But I ask myself and I tell others, look beyond that. What will happen after you take that step? What happens after you make that move? Can you see beyond the visible horizon? And the last question goes exactly to the point we're talking about, which is about risk. If I can't get my answer about what to do, which choice to pick, I ask myself, which one is the more risky option? Whatever the more risky option is, that's the one I take. And I just add one thing to that is that Never run away from something, only run to something. So if you're upset at your job or upset at your employer or whatever, don't just like, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go someplace else. You're going to be making bad decision right there. Never run away from something, only run to something you're super excited about. Now, the, I think both Reshma and, and Holly have made some really terrific points. I think one of the things that I certainly struggled with over the years was the fear of failure and, you know, taking a risk is great. And, you know, I'm not risk averse and, and love opportunities. Although I have, you know, young adult male uh, children, and I would say things that make my heart race. Sometimes they say, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> They're going to listen to the podcast and say, but mom, you said take risks. They won't, they won't listen to the podcast. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I do think that not being afraid of failure is something I've learned along the way. And I think that's really important um, as well. And I, you know, I see differences. I think there are differences between men and women and also between young, uh, you know, individuals and older people. I think as I've gotten older, um, I'm not not afraid to fail. And, and sometimes that's when you get the best opportunities. So. Yeah, I wanted to address that because I think sometimes early in your career, it's it's about keeping your head above water. And so you're constantly saying, do I have to do this? And and sort of balancing the I'm going to am I going to be overwhelmed if I add this to my plate versus am I really prepared for this or do I really have the credentials that put me in a good position for this? And I think sometimes the way to handle it when you're more junior is to engage in small risk 
So take on a small thing that it has a finite timeline to it so that you know that, you know, even if it's going to be crazy, it's not going to be, a, you know, you're not going to be in the spotlight necessarily as much. And as you grow the, that comfort level in taking risks, I think you, you're able to take on a bigger risk, which I think, Sue, when you said, you know, when you get more advanced in your career, you're not as afraid to take risk. I think some of that is just that you have experienced taking risks and you've done it and been successful and the sky didn't fall on top of you. And so I think, you know, finding a way to manage risk in small bites can sometimes open doors. And the other thing is that by doing that, you know, I, I never thought in my career beyond, I love being at the bench. I love to do science. I'm at home in a lab. This is where I'm going to be forever. Well, I'm not really in the lab as much now. Um, and so life has a way of evolving. And so when you do these small risks or you take on these small opportunities, I think in some ways what you're doing is you're exploring your world. You're, you're exploring your, your professional world and, and finding out what you like, what you don't like, what you're good at, what you're not good at. And part of that is figuring out what you need to learn. But part of it is deciding what you do not ever want to do again. And so, you know, I think, you know, careers, sometimes when you're starting out, you think of your career as very, um, very linear. My career, at least, has never been linear. I've taken more turns and, and many of them have not been by choice, but by accident. So I think, you know, engaging in a little bit of stretching your um, stretching your horizons actually opens the door to a lot more down the road. And you may, may not even see it when you're when you're making that decision. I think what Lisa said um, about knowing what you want is something that we should discuss a little bit more because if you don't know what it is you want, you're not going to ever get there. And I'm amazed at how little time people spend on thinking about what do you want out of your career? You know, what does interest you? What motivates you? What would make you get out of bed every day? And really think about that and spend time thinking about it for yourself and writing it down and talking about it with other people. I mean, if you don't set goals for yourself or at least know what you'd like to achieve and what interests you, you're never going to get there. You know, I'd just like to pick up on one other thing that Lisa said, which is um, this concept of serendipity and roads that are not linear. Um, sometimes they go backwards. Sometimes they're squiggly. Uh, maybe sometimes exactly what you thought was going to happen happens. But I, I think that's particularly hard for physicians because we've planned our lives. We went to high school um, or PhD scientists, um, PharmDs. We're, we're all sort of built from the same cloth. We like to do work, go from one step to another step. And we, we have this very planned out. And I, I think it's kind of hard for us to open our mind to this idea that life is um, potentially filled with serendipity. And that might be a good thing. This It's kind of another way of uh, talking about risk. Um, and I, I think that when you hear a number of different people talk about their journeys, which is why I love stories like today and hearing from all of you, you realize that that is kind of how life works. And being open to this potential, the potential of letting um, yourself try a few things, and if you fail, okay, 
But I think the point that Holly makes then is really critical. You do have to have a general sense of where you're going. If you're generally speaking, trying to go right, you should probably try to move rightward. Um, but you actually have to know that. Um, uh, and I do think those two things really go together. Well, and if I can just interject, I think that you can't wait for somebody else to offer you an opportunity too. Sometimes it's about knowing yourself and, and knowing that you want to try something. But I also, I do want to go back to the concept of really more junior individuals. Um, you know, a lot of junior individuals, if they're going to have children, have children during that time frame. And it really can be overwhelming when somebody says, you really need to sort of stretch yourself because you're already pretty stretched and, you know, just managing. And so there is a time and a place for, for taking any risks. So I don't want it to sound like um, that if you're not taking a risk, that somehow you're holding yourself back because sometimes you already have enough on your plate and you need to just focus and allow that to be where you are in that moment. Yeah. I think Lisa, that's, you know, something I, I speak to all my junior faculty as well, but I think knowing your priorities and I think Reshma, you were talking about, you know, that number one of the five points and family is so important and, you know, knowing um, when to take a risk or when to try something new, but always keeping your priorities um, in the right place. And, and I would like to add on the risk of failure that um, you have to like keep it in perspective because it's kind of funny to hear like Sue talk about failure. You're like, God, she's never failed. Oh, I failed so many <laughs> like, times. Oh, yeah, oh. you've had huge failures, yes, you know. Have. And, um, you know, but like keep everything in perspective. You know, if you're a nephrologist or a nephrology provider listening to this, you're incredibly successful, you know. You're, you, you're extremely smart. You're helping a really vulnerable population. You're one of the smartest specialists that there is. And if you're a woman, you've overcome phenomenal odds to get there. I mean, we've only had 100 years to vote, right? I mean, I mean it's, it's harder to get through medical school as a, as a woman. It's harder to get through residency and fellowship as a woman. You're incredibly successful. And so I encourage anyone who's listening to this that next time you look in the mirror, remind yourself you are really, really successful. And anything above and beyond that is just icing on the cake. Own it. You know, I, I met this woman who was like, uh, like she, she got, you know, pretty high up in a, in a dialysis organization. And, and she was also like really in shape and, and she looked great. And, and she had this great smile. And, and she was just like, I just don't know if I can handle this job. You're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like, you know, and it was just like, you're out of your mind. Like she didn't see herself the way that everybody else saw her, which is like an extremely successful, powerful woman who's using her success to help other people. And what a phenomenal way to spend your life and your career. Natasha, we got to record um, Holly and it has to be like an affirmation that all young nephrologists <laughs> say to themselves when they get ready in the morning. You are awesome. <laughs> yes, 100%. I'm going to see if we can get something set up for Holly. <laughs> well, Holly, I'm really glad that we touched upon um, failure. You know, you did mention a great point that you guys are all incredibly accomplished. Talk to me a little bit about failure and rejection in your journey. And when you did experience failure, failure or rejection, how did you bounce back? Well, 
I had really wanted this big promotion and, um, and I thought that I had really spent, you know, several years working towards that promotion and getting that particular position. And then it was passed on to someone that I didn't think had the same qualifications as me. And it made me really angry. Um, and then some other things happened at work and, um, and it, it, it was, it was really, really awful. And then my mom died after that. Uh, you know, and I just, I wanted to quit. I wanted to run away. You know, you, you go to a low point in your life that climb back out of that low pit. It makes you a stronger person. I, you know, having those low points in your life, it's horrible going through them. Believe me, I don't ever want to go through what I went through like that again. But I really think it changed me into a better and stronger person, a better clinician, you know, just someone who is like, okay, failure's not going to hold me back. My purpose is going to get me past any failures that I go through. And failures is part of life, right? I mean, you have spring, you have summer, you have winter, you have fall, right? It's just part of life. And rolling with the punches is going to make you a stronger person. So I think when things get really bad, just keep telling yourself, I'm just going to keep getting up in the morning because eventually it's going to get better. And it does. Yeah, I think great points. And, and Holly, just following up, um, you know, I, I think everybody deals with failure. And you also mentioned, you know, the wanting to quit. Uh, and I remember, you know, starting in the lab where nothing worked for at least two years, maybe, you know, and I, I really considered quitting and actually quitting, you know, I, I, there were some opportunities to do something else. And I really thought about it and it's tough. And, you know, particularly when you go through medicine where, you know, and you're at the peak of looking after patients in the hospital, you're running the ICUs as the senior residents, and then you go into this lab and absolutely nothing worked. So resilience, tenacity, grit, perseverance, all these things, and then you grow a bit of a thicker skin. And then if you decide to carry on with research, and all of you can attest to this, the rejections just keep on coming, and sometimes really awful, you know, where triaged grants and papers and people write really awful things in there. You learn to accept that and you know again i think going back to your purpose or i would just you know close my eyes and say what what do i want to do and and it always comes back to the patients and trying to make a difference and yeah and that's what gets you uh, going i'm going to look in the mirror though tomorrow and just say wow you're awesome you're an nephrologist because <laughs> you are sue you are awesome you're my hero <laughs> and so is Lisa, and so is Rashma, and so is Natasha. I just want to add one thing, and that is often when you're close to the failure, you don't have a good perspective. And so in that moment, part of the reason that it's so awful is because you don't see it as a blip. You see it as a mountain. To some extent, like when you talked about a triaged grant or a paper that gets rejected, I know that... We always used to say in the lab, leave it for a week and come back to it. Because in that moment, when you first get that rejection, it's personal, it hurts. People didn't understand you. They didn't recognize how amazing it was. But with perspective, you realize, you know, I didn't actually say that. I didn't do a good job of explaining that. Or maybe this isn't something that 
uh, I can effectively do. And so maybe it, a revision is in order, but I don't think, I think you're blind to that when you're in the midst of a failure. And then also I think once you've recognized or, or experienced the failure, don't hold on to it. Set it aside, it's, it's in your past, move on. Um, because I think you can get you can get so wrapped up in something that didn't work that like wanting to quit, you can you, you can um, put more power in that failure than it actually deserves. So sometimes just saying, okay, that was what it was, that's not what it's going to be, allows you to move on maybe a little bit uh, more successfully. And you know obviously that may not um, be as relevant to patient care, but, um, certainly in research, I think the ability to get some perspective is valuable. You know, a, another way to look at failure or to broaden the conversation, this is a little bit about rejection. It's a little bit about making mistakes. It's a little bit about something not going the way you thought it should or would go. Or it's, uh, frankly, you you were on your way there was an outcome, outcome one was success, outcome two was failure. And when I think about this sort of area, I I think back to when I was actually um, very early in my career, I'm not even sure if I was a renal fellow, maybe I was a first, I guess I was a first year renal fellow, perhaps maybe second year. There was a very, very frail older woman. And you know, when you thought, think about clinical care, and sometimes you think about mistakes, and you think, well, is it life or death? My, my mistake that I, I, I think about a lot was life or death. So there was an older woman who was very frail and um, was hypotensive, hypoxic, and needed urgent dialysis, and I needed to put in a, a femoral catheter. And um, you all know what I mean, but when I felt for the pulse, every it was so thready, and we didn't have ultrasounds then, and she was hypoxic, so I couldn't tell based on the pulse, I couldn't tell based on the color, but the catheter went into her femoral artery. I was devastated. Uh, the story has a happy ending. The patient went to the OR. It was sutured. She was fine. But I was just devastated. I mean, talk about wanting to quit. Talk about just thinking you're completely incompetent. Talk about uh, what am I actually really doing here? And I was just crushed. And I remember what an older surgeon said. I think it was actually the surgeon who came back to see me after um, he repaired the puncture. And he said, you know, the only person who hasn't made a mistake or done what, what just happened to you, it's a person who hasn't done enough procedures. And that gave me a lot of comfort. I was crushed for a long time to come. But that gave me a lot of comfort to think about when you are doing, to to Holly's point, it's an amazing thing that we do, provide dialysis. It's an amazing technology that we can do this for our patients. It's the only organ that you can provide life-saving therapy externally, right, for prolonged periods of time what we do in drug development, what you do in research, if you do amazing enough things, sometimes it won't work out exactly as you planned. And I, I do think that um, we have to think about this. Um, and 
think about it in terms of what can you do better the next time and what did you learn from it? And I, I think this, again, it comes back to kindness, this act of kindness where the surgeon comes back and tries to explain um, how you might want to consider this. I think we can all do that for each other a little bit more. Absolutely. That was great. Yeah, I think, you know, I was just thinking about that surgeon and, you know, how it could have been very different if, you know, and it depends on how the people around you respond to your failure as well, um, which helps you get get through. Well, I could talk to you guys all night long, but we're going to wrap it up. I have one last question for everyone, and it's if you could give yourself one piece of advice at the beginning of your career, what would it be? Well, the advice I give other people probably would be advice that I should have given myself, but that is that you're going to achieve more than you think you are. So like when I see medical students and residents, I tell them that you are going to achieve more than what in your mind right now you think you're going to achieve. And I think that's really true. Like we all underestimate what we're capable of. We all underestimate what we can achieve in life. So I think that's probably the advice I would give myself. I think my advice would be sort of along the same vein, but to take a breath, um, take a, take time out, because I think we can get like a rat on a treadmill. You know, don't, don't judge yourself against other people. Uh, take a breath and, and, and look at yourself relative to what you're capable of or what you want. Because I think sometimes when you are, looking at other people to validate yourself or where you are, you're always going to find a flaw. And if you take a minute just to think about yourself and, um, and your career, because I think oftentimes we're too busy to do that. I think it, it puts things in perspective in a new way. Yeah, I guess I would say I'm still on the failure uh, piece and, and uh, more about, you know, unwilling to take a risk because of, thinking you might fail or an opportunity. So I would say, don't, don't worry about failing. Go for it. I love the advice that all of you gave. I wish I would have known you in my younger days so I could have gotten all of this great advice. This may be a little bit off the beaten path, but, you know, I've come back to having girlfriends in my later years. Between being a mom, a wife, um, a daughter... Uh, a physician, an executive, the thing I gave up, which I didn't do intentionally, was I gave up friendships, um, friendships especially with my girlfriends. And later in life, um, I actually went back to school later in life, and I met some great people, including um, a new set of girlfriends um, in school. And I have found it to be an incredible source of inspiration fun and a, a, a really wonderful way to replenish and, and energize myself. And I would say, especially to the younger people there, um, I know it's hard and how busy you are, but I wouldn't give up on my friendships. I would try very hard to find a way to stay connected to your friends. 
Wow, this is all really great advice. Uh, thank you, ladies, again, for taking the time to be here and being so open. I've learned so much from you, and I'm sure our listeners are going to enjoy your insights and advice. And for our listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it on Twitter and tag us. Our handle is at NKF. If you'd like to get in touch with us about this episode or have ideas about Future Woods, please email us at nkfpodcast at kidney.org. Until next time, everyone, take care.